Hey, this is Pius. Just a big thank you to Doug Bieferman, who just pledged donations to this podcast and to my studio, Pios Labs, at the engineer level. So Doug, shout out to you, who makes these episodes possible. And you'll also get a copy of my ebook, Engineer's Guide to Improv and Art Games. Now, on to the show. It's August 7th, 2017, and this is the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast. What factors influence someone to grow up to be an electrical engineer? Today we explore this question with Layla Yalan. Layla is not only an electrical engineer herself, working in the high-tech industry of computer chip design and testing, but she also might be guiding her young daughters toward engineering too. In fact, she sends her kids to Maker Kids Lab, the after-school STEM program featured a few episodes ago. If you haven't heard that podcast episode yet, go check it out. I spoke to Layla at the AMD campus in Austin, Texas. My name is Layla Yalan, and I am a single mom of two wonderful, awesome daughters. They are 8 and 11 years old. And uh, yep, I'm an electrical and computer engineer here at AMD. And I, my job is I'm a methodologist, and I work in equivalence checking. So basically, we have two different models that are uh, maybe written differently from each other, and we have to run software that will tell us that they behave the same way. Um, and then the, where the methodology part comes in is uh, how do we apply these tools that we buy from industry and what are safe practices here and how can we do an official sign off? And so basically I tell people how to run the tools that we have to do equivalence checking. So I get to make up things and tell people what to do for a living. It's nice. fantastic. That sounds really fancy. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, electrical engineering always was to me when I was first starting to study engineering, it was considered the most esoteric and hardcore of all the engineerings. And basically your description is confirming that for yes. me. Yep. It's very abstract. Uh, if people were listening to what you do and they weren't familiar with equivalence okay. checking or something, right. is there something in their So the way that I explain it to people is usually with buildings and with like schematics of a, of a, a building. And I always try to tell people that um, we know that if you're going to go want to build a new house, you want to have a kitchen and like five bedrooms and, you know, two car garage. And someone will write all of this down and then someone will draw you uh, plans, the schematics that you can physically look at and what the layout is and we have a software that will take the written language of, of what your house is supposed to be and it will compare to what you actually drew in the schematics and it will tell you whether you missed something like oh you missed one of the bathrooms or there's an electrical outlet not in the right spot so um, and then specifically you know here at AMD we do both we're an Intel competitor that's usually the easiest way to describe it to people although Austinites know AMD because it's right. a large presence here. Um, so we do regular CPU chips and we do uh, graphics chips and then we do chips that have both, you know, graphics on on the chip itself. And we're in the game consoles, which is a big deal uh, for us, like the PlayStation 4 or Xboxes. So please go out and buy those. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one. Yeah. It's great. Yay. So I'm using your technology, basically. That's right. That's yeah. awesome. And so I work in um, research and development. So we're working on pre-silicon models of the chip. Okay. And uh, what kind of education did you need to have to do what you do? So traditionally, the, the team that I'm in is called CAD, and it's basically we write the software for the hardware engineers to do. And I had, even within my educational path, I had a non-traditional uh, path in that 
I am trained as a hardware engineer and I did my undergrad at Michigan State. I'm from Michigan and I did my graduate work at Purdue. And when I came out of school, I was doing hardware engineering and I was doing chip design. So I was actually uh, helping to build those models that we talked about. I would read written language and I would build it uh, physically. Um, and you have to always run these tools in order to prove that the design you built functions correctly. And I really liked doing that. I had done it in college and I had um, been the champion on my team and I was running it for my teammates. Um, and then an opportunity came up about seven years into my career to switch to actually owning the software that would run the equivalence checking tools. Uh, and I took it because that really appealed to me. Um, but traditionally, someone in my role should have uh, an electrical and computer engineer degree. We have a lot of uh, computer science background degrees, basically mm -hmm. someone who can do coding. So, yeah, I'm not classically trained in coding, but I, you know, play you, a coder on TV. Learned it on <laughs> I've learned own. it on my own. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, it was something that you had to learn in order to go to get through grad school. You needed to be able to uh, sure. code in Perl. So that's predominantly what I use. Um, and then, again, if you're the team expert, for a particular software, you better know it because someone's going to come and ask you a question <laughs> you have to know. So, yeah. How many people are on your team? Um, here in Austin, there are four of us. So our, my manager is here and uh, me and uh, two other colleagues. Uh, we have uh, one employee in California and one in um, Boston. And then we have a dotted line team also in Shanghai. Wow. So, a lot of people yeah. think engineering is, oh, you're just sitting alone on your computer. But... Oh, God, no. No, we have <laughs> um, in the U.S., we have sites in um, California and Colorado, uh, Austin, Orlando, and Boston. And then we also have a, a Toronto site. Um, and then we have two sites in India, two sites in China. I can only imagine how you have to coordinate all this stuff. Yeah. And, you know, nighttime meetings, sometimes I have meetings until midnight. Like there was a meeting last night till 11, but mm -hmm. single mom. So kids have to get up in the morning and <laughs> still me. Yeah. yeah. Could you tell me a little bit about what you were interested in even when you were a kid? Were you interested in electrical engineering? No, definitely not. So, um. There were there were fundamental influences on me that made it obvious that I am actually in a scientific field. But my original like lifelong goal from fourth grade was I'm going to be a lawyer and it's going to be Harvard for me. And so that was, <laughs> you know, I was a one track mind. But at the same time, um, so my my dad is a foreigner. He's from Iran and he came over uh, in 1969. So he's been here longer than he was ever there. He's very Americanized. Um, and my mom is American. Um, but we were raised in a household. It was my brother and I. He's one year older. And I was always told, don't let anyone tell you you can't do something because you're a girl. So you want to go play that sport, you play that sport. You want to go do theater, you can do theater. Um, we, but you need to make sure that you know how to do math. And, and my mom was really heavily involved in making sure that we got our schoolwork done. And my dad was really involved in making sure that I could do math properly. Hmm. And prior to me being born, he had actually gone to school to be an electrical engineer here in the States. But um, right before he finished, the company he was working for, you know, an opportunity opened up and they said, hey, why don't you come be the uh, general manager of these four stores selling clothing, uh, men's suits? And he said, sure, I've got family now and I'm, I've got really, mm -hmm. really small children and that would be a great opportunity. So mm -hmm. 
Um, so he was trained in, in electrical engineering, but way back before, yeah. you know, no transistor uh, era. Right, right. And he went into clothing. And so my whole life, it was being kind of in uh, customer service, right? You are selling, you're in sales. So in my uh, high school is when he opened the, his own business. So for like 25 years, they've been owning their own business. So one side of me is all about customer service and how to speak with people and how to sell what it is that you want to sell. So for me, it's my software, right? I need to sell my software to our internal customers. And yeah. so theater and my family background really helped me with being able to speak with people and having a dad who thought it was really important to learn math helped me to have this um, fundamental understanding of math and sciences. Um, and I still wanted to be a lawyer, right? Because I can speak really well in front of people and I can argue and you can come into my decision because I'll tell you why, right? So it made sense for me to go to law. Yeah. So I went to Michigan State and they have a special uh, college uh, just for James Madison, just for political science pre-law. Um, and when I went to do placement testing to start uh, college, they told me you don't need to take any math in college. That blew my mind. What do you mean? I don't need to take math. There's no such thing. You have to take math. So of course, I took math anyway. And I started taking the political science courses. It was very obviously it was not for me. It, it, I was <laughs> well, not in my area. At what all. was it about it? It was more geared towards um, political science. And it was not at all geared towards logical mathematical thinking. So it wasn't my area. I didn't have the background. The love for it wasn't there. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm in college. I really like mathematics. Why don't I become a mathematics major? So I spent the next two years doing all my math and science to be a mathematics major. My goal was to be a professor and I was going to teach mathematics because I also found um, starting even in eighth grade, I really liked tutoring people. So I would tutor mathematics in middle school. I was tutoring all subjects in high school. Um, and now I'm at college level and I took a job uh, tutoring the athletes at Michigan State. So I would spend time. It was just, I really liked it. Great. I'll be a math teacher. Um, and I had a close friend and she said, you know, you have to go to school a really long time to, to get your PhD to be a professor in mathematics. Would you want to teach um, high school level or middle school level. And at that time, now I'm exposed to college students. No, I really wanted to teach at university level. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, um, yeah, it's not that bad, though. And she said, well, what if it doesn't work out? What is your fallback? What would you like to do? And I said, well, I don't know. What is there? And she said, how about engineering? Why don't you go look into engineering? And I'm like, oh, well, my dad was an engineer. That doesn't sound too bad. And I found the requirements for all the engineering. Hmm. And the ones that required the math and science courses I already took were electrical engineering and chemical engineering. And uh, I don't have yeah. a chemistry mind. Right. <laughs> so I guess I'll be an electrical engineer because, hey, my dad was an electrical engineer. So I think I'll change my major yet again. Again, in my interest of what I liked sure. to do, but still trying to find something that I had passion for. Can I ask what your parents thought about what you were doing, including your dad, uh, especially? I think because all of the career paths that I chose were higher education and they were stuff that you could get a job in fairly easily. Again, you do what you like to do that would afford you to live a comfortable life so you don't have to ever struggle and you don't have to... Uh, particularly along the, the the veins of being a female, you don't have to marry somebody who has money so that you can survive. You can get your own career and decide your own life choices. So, you know, 
Great. Mathematics professor. Nothing wrong with that. Okay. Engineer. Again, nothing wrong with that. Right. right. So, so they were really supportive. They were very supportive as long as my grades were good and, you know, I behaved properly. And sure. so, yeah. And even starting out in engineering, it wasn't, it wasn't until my second uh, semester of classes. The first semester was actual circuits. And again, my, I never tinkered with circuits as a child. I did a lot of Legos, but not the electronic ones. Mm -hmm. um, and then I had my digital logics class where it was uh, for, you know, for folks who know it's, it's Boolean algebra, it's AND gates and OR gates and the simple circuit logic that we now use to build everything on our chips. And like this wonderful light bulb went on and it was so intuitive to me and it was it's logical. So I always make that joke that I am logical. That was the reason why I wanted to be a lawyer was because it was logic. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I remember asking the professor, can I actually get paid to do this? And he looked at me really crazy because this was the late 90s tech boom. Oh, yes. Right. There is actually quite a few uh, areas that you can go into and be very successful learning this. So I'd finally found my niche. Would you say that there's a specific type of thinking or type of person who would gravitate towards digital logic or that particular field um, that appealed to you? I feel like one of the reasons that I like the mathematics that most of us know and are comfortable with, certainly not high level theoretical mathematics, but basic number mathematics is there's an answer. And if you got the wrong answer, you can just look back through and find the mistake hmm. and correct it. And now you have the right answer. So digital logic is the same thing. It's not ambiguous. It is deterministic. You, you know exactly right. what went wrong. Why or went wrong, right? right. Because okay. you know that this gate will function as an AND gate or this gate is an inverter. So if you, you only have ones and zeros, your answer can only be a one or a zero. I mean, obviously there is more, there's a slight more complexity in it, but for you know the lowest level, it's on or off. What did you do after that class? Um, I tried to take everything in that vein that I possibly could. <laughs> okay. um, and I certainly throughout my whole life have had really fantastic influence, influential teachers and professors. And so I had a professor in undergrad who, um, recognized that I had, you know, a passion for this and that I really liked this. Uh, and he gave me a, a very simplistic problem, but something that I could do like a project on, on the side. Um, and it was my first kind of um, working with an equivalence checking tool, right? So in undergrad, he gave me something very simplistic. It was just an inverter, which literally says, if I put a one in, I get a zero out. If I put a zero in, I get a one out. Um, and he had me model it with a bunch of different models and to tweak the transistor behavior and see which one worked the best and then prove that what you've built actually matches the functionality you want to. And so this was kind of my first um, dip into that equivalence checking world. Right, right. Um, and then I went into um, graduate school. And one of my favorite things about graduate school was being a TA. Um, and the TA class that I got to uh, work, the class that I got to TA for um, was, you know, you would write up something in a coding language and then you would build it and then do X number of things. But after you built it, you'd have to run this equivalence checking tool mm -hmm. to make sure that it behaved correctly. So um, it just was kind of an underlying theme that was there. And again, it tells you it's right or it's wrong. You get a satisfaction. That's of right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and 
Actually, my job today is very satisfying because it's instant gratification. People like phone games or they like to play something because they accomplished a task and they got it right and they went on to the next thing. Like this mm-hmm. instant gratification is is apparently very personally important to me. Mm-hmm. So with equivalence checking, a user comes to me and says, uh, my design is dirty. And I'm like, oh, let me just help you. Bloop, 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 bloop. Okay, now it's clean. Yay, instant gratification. So that appealed to me as a person yeah. um, as problem solving and then instant gratification. You talked about being a teaching assistant a little bit. Yeah. Would you say that you use those skills of teaching today as an engineer? Yes, I think that one of the most important things is you thoroughly can understand a concept if you're able to teach it to somebody else. So definitely my um, life of teaching and tutoring helped me just for mathematics and then getting into graduate school and doing the TA-ship for for the specific engineering area and design um, that really helped to solidify and have a great underlying knowledge. And then when I came to start working, um, my first job was at Sun Microsystems. And when I worked there, because I had an interest in equivalence checking tools, um, I became the team expert, and so the other people would do their designs, and they'd hand it to me, and I would do their equivalence checking for them. And so if they had a problem, I'd have to explain what their problem was or how I debugged the tool. And again, mm-hmm. all the teaching layered on my own knowledge and helped me. You can tell when you're speaking to somebody if they understood it or not. If they don't understand it, you have to try a different way. You have to mm-hmm. explain it yet another way and explain it another way. And, um, you know, Common Core gets a lot of slack, but the, one of the things that came from Common Core, I feel, is different ways to explain the same solution, different techniques that you can use. And if you can explain three techniques for one problem, well, you really understood the problem then, right? Yeah. So, I like how you're bringing up Common Core. So you're yes. clearly a parent. Yes, so. absolutely. Um, you know, I, I liked to do, to do teaching when I was younger. Um, I was involved with Girl Start, which is a fantastic program at getting young girls interested in STEM field. Um, but after I had my own children, it became too hard for me to try to do external from my home. So all my focus came inward. So um, I think how to sum up my parenting is I was in a group of colleagues. It was two females and two males, and we were discussing different parenting techniques that I was doing. And I think I was the only parent at the table. Um, and so the other, the, the guys didn't get it. Um, and my daughter was very young, maybe three or four. So they were a little bit confused as, you know, why are you behaving this way with your child? They're so young. And, um, my friend who's also an engineer, she turned to them and she said, you know how Beyonce is very successful and her parents raised her from birth basically to be an entertainer and a performer and she's very successful at it? And they said, yeah. And she said, Layla's raising her children to be engineers. And they were like, oh, okay, now I get it. Things that I've done with my children from very, very little is use car riding time as a time to interact and explore and pique their curiosity. We would drive down the road and look out and I'd say, oh, look, you can see a brown fence, you know, brown, B-R-O-W-N. So everything that I said was a, a teaching mechanism. When you would describe something, you would immediately spell it. Or um, as they got older, we'd sit in the car and I'd say, okay, now touch the cloth seat, which is black. Now touch your window. Which one is hotter? Which one is colder? And I mean, I kid you not, six years old, we're talking about thermic properties of different materials. They don't know what those words mean, but they can tactily touch. The cloth did not absorb as much heat as the glass did 
or the cloth that was black absorbed more heat than the cloth that was white. These are scientific principles that you will learn much later in life, sure. but they're all around you. You're teaching them concepts. I'm, You're not teaching right. them vocabulary. You're right. Well, but I do, but you throw those vocabulary in there. You say, you know, thermic properties, and then you back it up with hot and cold, yeah. right? Or descriptions. So use the technical words, but then back it up with words that they know. Yeah. Um, Legos. Legos are such a big <laughs> part of my uh, children's life. And Cool. I love Legos. Legos so, are yeah. awesome. Legos are really no amazing. No one's paying us to promote Legos, no. but yes. And, you know, Lego Friends is the girl model of Legos. And people really complained because they, oh, you made them pink and you put flowers. How dare you do that for girls? Well, you know, when my oldest daughter was born, I had a rule. No dolls, no princesses, no girly toys. Hmm. Gender neutral toys only. I want colorful blacks. I want... When the child gets old enough and asks me for a doll, I will buy her a dolly. But we are not going to start gender biasing her from birth. That's not fair. Like, I'm not going to do that. If she wants them, she'll ask for them. And people would buy them dolls and I'd put them away. Hmm. And my mom was really mad. And I'm like, when she can ask for that, I'll give it to her. But, I'm, you know, buy her a truck then. Buy her a doll and a truck. Yeah. Um, so we did, you know, a lot of like little kid Legos and blocks and learning toys. And my second daughter was born... And we have the joke, she came out a pretty, pretty princess. Like, she's just very graceful, and she likes girly things. And I, great. She liked it. She's a princess. Fantastic. Girly, you know, quote, girly Legos? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That is a Lego girl. And she doesn't care that they're, you know, built for her mindset. So what that they built something that has floweries and horses? It also has cell phones and computers. And like in the end, she enjoys it. She enjoys it yeah. and she's building. And at the same right. time, we bought Minecraft Legos and we bought Lego Batman Legos. And so, and she plays with them all together. She has no uh -huh. concept that these were supposed to be for girls and these are supposed to be for boys. If she liked flowery princess things and because of that, she now plays with Legos. I don't care. Right, right. Right. So you shouldn't look at a, a girl child and say, oh, you're a girl. Therefore, you have to have girl Legos. No. If the child likes the design of that Lego, buy it for them. She's also really big into Star Wars. Mm -hmm. She carries around a three-foot-tall Darth Vader <laughs> plushie really? everywhere she goes. I didn't know they sold those. <laughs> they do. She asked for it, and she got it for her birthday, and she takes it everywhere. And wow. and so, I mean, it, it to me, it didn't matter that mm. I didn't want to push any gender roles on her, but if she was interested in um, a princess, then we would talk about princesses. But she likes princesses that rescues the prince. a lot of it is doing early mathematics with them, doing early reading concepts, and just trying to, like I said, make education in everything that you do, make games out of um, out of the world around you, count things. Yeah. Um, and then you yourself have to do them, right? If I'm interested in baking, then when I want the girls to come and bake with me, we talk about measurements and we read the measurements. I'm not going to make them do fractions at two, mm -hmm. but by the time, you know, 
by the time my older one could do fractions, then I would ask her, okay, um, this says that we need a half a cup and I've only got a one fourth measuring cup. Mm -hmm. So how many do I need? And I would make her do math to assist with baking, not because I was being, you know, cruel, but I'm telling her we only have the one, the one fourth cup is clean. So, and if I were going to make this, I know how to do it. You need to know how to do this. You mentioned a little bit of a disagreement with your mom about what she thought in the beginning. How would you compare how you are raising your daughters in, in engineering or to think scientifically versus how you were raised? So for me, again, my brother is one year older. And so I played with his toys. So certainly he was the influence with me with the Star Wars action figures and he was really into Legos. Okay. And so I wanted to play with somebody. Therefore, we played Legos, right? Yeah. So he would dictate the games and I got to play along. And, you know, in the 70s and 80s, the um, all of the computer toys were aimed at boys, mm-hmm. right? So we would start with him and then I would play along. But again, my dad never wanted it to be, you're a girl, you can't do that. I, okay. Um, and even when I was in fourth grade, I don't know where he found uh, this woman who taught computer out of her class, out of her home. Um, but we had gotten an Apple IIe, it was our first oh, wow. computer. Yeah. And he found us private uh, computer lessons. Oh so, <laughs> um, and we didn't do it for very long, a short period of time, but it was, it was once a week for an hour. And, you know, my brother and I would go and she would teach us to do simple coding and Microsoft Paint or whatever the, sure. the Apple equivalent of paint was. It was fantastic. I loved it. It was so silly. We were going there to write coding and I'm like, can I draw and paint now? <laughs> um, but I, if I could get my code done, then she would let me draw animations to go along with my coding. And so Whoa. it was an incentive. Um, and it was never, we're doing that for your brother, but we're not doing it for you. It was never that way. So I think, again, if you can just expose your children to the idea of curiosity and watch TV, and then they see you watching these programs, and then they want to become involved. Um, as an engineer, we used to at AMD have uh, bring your child to work day or bring your daughter to work day. Um, but when the economy started to go, certain programs were cut um, and they, you know, they didn't pick that one back up. But before either one of them started uh, kindergarten on take your child to national, take your child to work day, I would bring them into the office with me. Now I realize a four year old in the office, what are they actually learning? <laughs> They're learning that mommy has a job. They're learning that when they look around the building, there are males and females who are doing engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very thankful that AMD has a female CEO, Dr. Lisa Sue. Um, it was a big deal to me when our company hired her and I told my daughters and I was very excited. We had a, um, a fall festival here where employees could come and bring their families and, uh, you know, Dr. Sue happened to be in the cafeteria when we were walking through and I marched my daughters over there and I was so proud to introduce them to her. Um, and it's just, it helps to explain to them, you can do anything. Look, you know, your mom is an engineer and she works for a company who was run by a female. Um, it's, it's just, it's a great time to get kids involved in engineering. Do they ask you questions about what you do and, and who they all these do, people are? They do ask me, um, you know, what do I do? Or they just know that mom is an engineer, but One of my favorite stories with my daughter was at a field trip, we went to a movie and before the movie, there are all these like pre, uh, pre preview advertisements that run on the screen and it was a PlayStation and it was all these different games. And we didn't, we didn't, we don't play with, um, video game consoles at home. We do a lot of, um, iPad, uh, apps. Um, 
And so all the kids around her kept saying, oh, I have that game. It's great. I love it. And she kept slouching lower and lower in her seat because she was embarrassed that she couldn't say anything about the games. And I I leaned over and I whispered in her ear and I was like, you see that game console, that PlayStation? She said, yeah. I said, your mommy worked on that. And she sat up really tall and turned and told her friends, my mom built that. And she was so proud that it was something tangible that you can see that, you know, that's what my mom does. She builds technology that you played a game on, but she built the technology. Is there anything that you think you wish you would have done differently or could have done differently, like growing up in your education or even uh, um, how you present this to your daughters? Yeah. So one thing that it would have been nice if I would have taken more of an interest in doing coding. Um, like I said, when I was eight, I had a... a first exposure to coding. Um, and I didn't take any coding classes in all of my, I mean, I was seven years in college mm. after having switched so many majors. It took me five years for undergrad. Um, it's very common. Now, yeah, so it yeah. is usually because you go do an internship, but you know, it, it, it worked for me. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter. It worked for me. Um, having not had any formal coding classes was a little bit of a um, inhibitor to me, but it doesn't hurt my job now. Again, I'm very proficient at what I need to do. And one of the things that I, I absolutely love about working here at AMD is my coworkers and my extended coworkers. So other CAD, but not on my direct team are very good at what they do. So, you know, we use instant messaging and I know who my couple of people are and I just say, hey, do you have five minutes? I'm trying to get this complex code to work and it's just not working. Mm -hmm. And they'll look at, oh, you missed a dollar sign or, you know, you you missed a it's escape a or, semicolon something. or something. Semicolon, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that one I've been burned by. It's not usually semicolon these days. It's a back, you know, right, a backslash. Right. <laughs> but yeah, same concept, right? Um, and so it would have been better if I had had more uh, formal coding education. Um, and so for the girls... I do want to get them into coding at a young age, and they are doing some Minecraft. And last summer we did Minecraft coding camp. Um, and we do have a product that one of your previous podcasts talked about. We do have the Sparky robot. I just learned that. Yeah, yes, that, yeah. Um, which I'm very excited. Uh, it's a new product that we have at home. So I'm very excited to uh, get my older daughter involved with uh, working with, you know, coding her robot with her uh, laptop. So that should be exciting. So, yes, cool. something that wasn't there for me that I am correcting. Um what wasn't there for me, I think my daughters are not as happy that I am correcting for them as I am a big uh, advocate of the Kumon program. It doesn't have to be Kumon. It can be Sylvan Learning. It can be you go and buy the books yourself. But one thing that I've done is um, I don't believe that it is school's job to give my children their full education. I think that there should be some supplementing at home um, or earlier starting. I was very adamant that my children read before they went to kindergarten and could do basic mathematics before they went to kindergarten. Um, and I used Kumon as that vessel. And so um, I had my dad helping me with math and my mom helping me with reading and being a big influence in my um, education. So for me, I use Kumon as my way um, to to further their education outside of school. Okay, yeah. I feel like your story is very rich. And <laughs> well, thank it's you. Coming full circle because you grew up trying to learn about other things other than engineering, and so I guess you're taking what you learned and now are applying it to your own daughters. That's right. Um, thank you so much for talking. Thank you for your time. I really enjoyed it. Thank you to Layla Yalan, electrical engineer at AMD. 
for links to things mentioned today and for transcripts, visit the podcast website, www.k12engineering.net. Please let me know what you thought of the show. On Twitter, you can tweet the show at K12Engineering or tweet me directly at Pius Wong. Or you can leave a message on the show's Facebook page. You can also leave a rating and a review on iTunes and Stitcher to help spread the reach of the show. Finally, you can financially support this show and my other projects by donating to Pios Labs on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Labs. If you do donate there, you can get a couple rewards or prizes as my thank you. Our closing music is from Late for School by Bleeptor under a Creative Commons attribution license. The K-12 Engineering Education Podcast is a production of Pios Labs. Hey there, I've got two post-show notes for you today. One is an announcement that Rachel and I Remember Rachel, the co-host every so often? Well, Rachel and I, we proposed a, a session at the upcoming South by Southwest EDU conference for 2018, and the voting period is open. The panel picker is open for South by. So what I would love for you to do, if you've got an opportunity, is check out our proposal. The link is on today's show notes. Uh, click that link and vote our proposal up. Put the little thumbs up next to our proposal. And remember, our proposal is called Podcasting for Education Meetup. You can search for that or search for our names, Pius or Rachel Farrig, Pius Wong. And basically, we just want to have an opportunity to gather up all the podcast lovers and educators and producers at South By to talk and collaborate and figure out new ways to teach people, teach kids or tell stories or create technology related to this medium. Um, so yeah, please vote for us. The second note that I wanted to say was related to a mini web app that I produced very recently that I just wanted to share. It's nothing official. It's just kind of a toy right now. And it's called Wikipedia Viewer. And I'm billing it as an ideation tool. And all it really is is something that helps you free associate using Wikipedia. So let's say you're brainstorming or trying to think about some kind of problem related to pizza. Well, you can go to this web app, which is linked in today's show notes, type in pizza and click enter and it'll immediately search Wikipedia for pizza related articles and photos and it'll immediately show up if you're connected to the internet. And uh, yeah, maybe those cards that show up or those topics that show up will make you think of even more things like pizza toppings or pizza delivery or uh, pizza gate or whatever is is popular on Wikipedia. Uh, so check it out. The link again is in today's episode's show notes. Use it and let me know what you think. It's kind of a digital toy, but maybe it'll help you problem solve too. Thanks. Thanks.